Welcome in listeners to the Busby Babe podcast. I'm Colin Dams. I'm here with Polly Questel today. Uh, Nathan is getting a haircut, so he won't be joining us. Um, so it's not not dedicated to the game, I guess. <laughs> Everyone knows true podcasters don't waste their time getting haircuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so getting right into it, uh, Manchester United sort of back in the top four race, if we can even call it that. Uh, with both Arsenal and Tottenham dropping points or dropping all the points this weekend and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring a hat trick as United beat Norwich 3-2 at Old Trafford in what, uh, you know, by all standard definitions was certainly a game of football. You're like, so how? I think they are back in the top four race. Yeah. I mean, they... So Arsenal still have one game in hand, but they've lost three straight in the Premier League. I th- I think it's three straight. Right, but we're about to run the gauntlet. But I guess one of those games is against Arsenal, and in theory we can right we can win that. And and Arsenal still have a game back. against Chelsea and Liverpool, I think as well. So oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I can't remember. I think it was I think it was after the West Ham match where I think we went into fourth place after that one, and I was. I saw someone later that day and he was just like, I don't get how you guys are, are in the top four. Like, I, I mean, he's like, I mean, I get it. I understand how math works. And I was like, no, like I understand how math works and I still don't get it either. And that's exactly how I feel right now. Like I understand how math works, but the fact that like one win and an arsenal loss and suddenly like United are a above Arsenal and right back in the picture with Spur. Like, I don't get how that works. Like, it's it's making me rethink everything I knew about math because United are not this good. How are they How are they here? It's it's kind of like 1819 over again, except that, that I understood. There, was, there was, like, <laughs> no period where Manchester United were carrying momentum forward. It just seemed like we've been out of this for a while now and we finally got to a point where we all just kind of accepted it was done. And then Arsenal started being professional bottlers again. Well, in 1819, I kind of understood it. It was like, we all of a sudden went on this tear and we got to a certain point um, where we, we reeled everything in granted. Like our tear was, we were like eight points back and we won a bunch of games and then we started to not win a bunch, but We lost control. We didn't lose control of our. I remember saying we had three games left. It was Chelsea, Huddersfield, and Cardiff. And I was like, because of the fact that we're playing Chelsea, like that was a chance to get three points on them that they obviously would thus drop three points. I was like, if we just win the final three matches, I like Chelsea and Arsenal will drop enough points that will make that will make Champions League. And that's exactly what happened. They dropped enough points that had we just won our final three matches, we would have finished in the top four. We just shot the bed, which I, I guess is what we're doing at every opportunity this season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, look, tomorrow we play Liverpool, and Liverpool are like, it. it's not even one of those situations where it feels like, well, it's a rivalry game. Maybe something can happen. Like, Liverpool just beat the shit out of Manchester City. In the, in the first half on Saturday. And before that, they played their second team and they beat the shit out of Benfica in the Champions League. Like, this is a team that's on a roll right now and is smelling blood when it comes to the title race. 
I really don't think that we have a chance there at all. But in this top four scenario where Tottenham and Arsenal, by the way, I think they have to play each other as well. Uh, they do. The they season. do. That's so, like, like the second to last game. We we can afford to lose on Tuesday. It's going to suck. Like, I maybe it'll be as bad as the 5-0, but probably not because we didn't really see that one coming. Maybe it'll be worse. Maybe, yeah, maybe it'll be worse, I but at least see it we'll worse. be prepared I, well, for well, it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think once I saw the starting 11 to that 5-0 game, I was like, yeah, well, this could be really bad. I guess I guess it can't be worse now because I'm expecting so much worse. Yeah. But I didn't expect to be I didn't expect that to win that match either. I, I mean, the 4-2 to Liverpool last year, that was bad. Yeah. That was that was like a momentum killer as well. Um but in this one, I mean, we I don't think we know whether Fred and McTominay are going to be healthy enough for it, but I would, they, I don't even know if I would risk it anyway. It's the same five guys that were out are, are out again. Yeah. So, so like, what are we doing? Are we, are we throwing the Manja Matic who basically maxes out at 70 minutes a week these days and played 30 minutes on Saturday. Are we throwing him out there to maybe give us a good 45 to 50 minutes. I mean, maybe just, maybe we, are we go just back going three. with Paul Pogba again. <laughs> or, well, I mean, so something else. Uh, uh, this was really awful news today. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and his wife announced that um, one of their twins did not survive. Uh, the I, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, uh, as Georgina was giving birth. So um, you would assume that he's missing, understandably. Um, and on the football side of things that, you know, Manchester United probably don't have a center forward for this game as well in that case. Right. And I get, well, Paul Pogba, I guess can play because it'll be at nighttime. So he'll be able to eat and drink and he'll be more right prepared for, for this match. But according to the fans, he's unfit to wear the shirt. So maybe he shouldn't play. If I were him, I wouldn't play. Uh, who are you going with? Like, what, what are you, what do you even do here? I mean, maybe go, is Eric by fit? Like Phil, maybe just go back. Yeah. Back three, back five. Yeah. Like a back five, but. Because you, you have to compensate not only for the midfield at this point, but you know, Luke Shaw's probably not going to play again for the rest of the year. Like. You have to compensate for everything. Like I'm, I would consider this. This, you would start going like maybe you put out the team that uh, um, Mourinho put out in, in 2018 where it was like he played a back five with Diogo Dello like in front of Ashley Young and and how how Ali used Dello as a as a winger throughout that the back half of that season. Maybe you just you put out like Windelhoff, McGuire, uh, if Eric Bailly is fit, Bailly, if, if Jones is fit, like Jones and then. And then Juan Bissaka and and Tellez with with Delote as like a winger ahead of them and Rashford Ilonga like you know as your striker I guess or he'll probably yeah. go with I mean if if Ronaldo's not playing he'll probably go with the he can't go with the Jesus Christ I I joked about this last week but like you might have to go with Phil Jones in midfield yeah I mean hey you can't even his go legs with are the working, Bruno but... you can't even go with the Bruno Pogba false double false nine thing because you don't have a Fred and McTominay behind them. (laughs) 
this is just like this is like I don't even know if it's like nightmare scenario, but because we're still on the top four race, but like I don't get how we are. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this game is just getting funnier the more we speak about it. Yeah, and I, I I think it helps too that like we were all resigned to just not making top four, so it's kind of funny that we can just watch this team be like, okay, well I guess we're going for it. There are people that are actually going to be mad when we lose tomorrow. <laughs> Why? What are you doing? What? And, and they're going to be like, oh, these players, they don't respect the shirt. They're, they're going to throw the whole book at them, and it's going to be like, well, no. It's mostly like, we aren't that good, and Liverpool are, and we don't have any players that can play against them. And then you go, well, then play the kids. And it's like the dumbest thing you could do is throw a Hannibal or an Alvaro Fernandez or a Gernmacho or any of those kids into this game. Yeah. I, I mean, the, people are definitely going to be mad when we lose tomorrow. But, like, as much as you have to hate to admit it, you know, as much as we talk about how great the treble team was and for – winning the Premier League while, you know, going on this run in these other competitions. Like, Liverpool are a foreseeable future away from winning all four competitions. Like, that's just yeah, how I didn't good even realize that. Yeah, like... <laughs> I didn't realize that until, like, yes, I think yesterday my friend said something about it, and I was like, oh, crap, you guys won the League Cup, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, you know, the fourth and lesser thought of, of the quadruple idea. Who did... But, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, if, I guess if they win the quadruple, we could still be like, well, we're the only ones that won the treble. Yeah. <laughs> Screw four. <laughs> we're the only ones that won three. <laughs> three is the magic number. Um, three is football heritage. <laughs> anyway, so this win over Norwich was really weird, and it was definitely a game played like we had no midfield. Um the commentators were talking at one point, like, you know, Bruno and Pogba can't seem to function to do this, like, defensive work. I'm like, yeah, no shit. We're playing in midfield with three players whose preferred position is number 10. Well, like, not so – I mean, Pogba's preferred position isn't so much number 10. It's just, like, advanced midfielder. Bruno, yeah. his preferred position is number 10, and we keep using him as, like, this advanced midfielder. Like, we keep being like, uh, play a 4-3-3, which is a little bit further back. Not so much on the shoulder of your striker and advance. And, like, he's not good at it because that's not his position. And Bruno had a terrible game. But but I, I just remember reading the tweets to be, like, about how Bruno keeps giving the ball away. and It's like he's always done that. <laughs> yeah, and then I look, and it's like Bruno gave the ball away twice, which is a very little time amount of times for him. And he missed – he missed nine passes. He completed 89% of his passes and he had like 99 touches and he gave the ball away twice and missed nine. But it's literally his most efficient game that he ever played. And I'm just like, something's not adding up here. It's, it's just that he played as this reserved room. Maybe he didn't make the best decision every time, but it's just he played as this more reserved player and like that's not the best Bruno and that's sometimes you need the higher risk I didn't complete the pass but like when when he does like you know some people will call it hero ball and it's like yeah but 
he's much better doing that. And United are much better doing that. He's, he's played more reserved and in recent times and, or specifically this season, we're not scoring as much and his assists and, and everything. And his shot creation is down. So yeah, like I would say you're not getting the best out of Bruno right now. And obviously he's not good at doing the defensive work. Jesse Lingard was running around doing a lot of the defensive work. And that's what Jesse Lingard is, is good at. But they had him furthest forward out of Bruno and Pogba and Lingard. And, I mean, I, I guess of course you would because he's definitely not like a number eight or a number six. It, yeah, you said it, Colin. They played this game like they didn't have a midfield because, well, they didn't have a midfield. And then... You know, of course, they didn't have fullbacks either. They had more of a right back than they did a left back. But I thought uh, there were two or three points in this game where it definitely stuck out. But I've kind of helped throughout the season that I think Maguire-Lindelof is still our best defensive partnership just because, one, they know each other and how to play together really well. And two, they're both kind of good at moving the ball forward, Maguire more so than Lindelof. And you see it in this game where they've had to defend on the break you know, maybe two or three times where it looked really scary. And both of them immediately knew what the other one was doing. The problem is neither of them really knew what their fullbacks were doing. And that really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was really true for the second goal where Tellez was jogging as Puki was making the run past him. And Lindelof gestures twice at what is happening. And Tellez is looking directly at everything that is happening because it's right in front of him. And he still jogs as Pookie takes the ball, runs past, and scores past De Gea. Yeah, and and this they like they foreshadow. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was foreshadowed, but like Norwich teased this from like a film perspective. They teased it very early in the game. They played a bunch of through balls like right between Lindelof and Tellez because they swapped Maguire over to the right side again. So now you got Lindelof on the left side because apparently. Because all of our goals have been coming, all the goals that we can see have been coming down that left side, and apparently that's been Maguire's problem. So we've taken Maguire out of that position, and guess what? We're still conceding a lot of goals from the left side, which should tell you a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> and they they went right through that channel like three minutes into the match and beat them both for pace. And it was like, oh, this this could be an issue. And they 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 kept trying that ball over and over again because they knew it was there. And eventually they they got Timu that that chance to Timu Puki. Um, yeah, like United were just incredibly stretched out. Like throughout the match, especially in the first half where they controlled a lot, but there were glimpses of things. And you saw the value of having Paul Pogba play as this number six, where it was like he's doing things, but also the fact that he can pass means that Norwich have to, like, respect that. And it opens things up for Bruno, and it opens things up for Wingard, and it opens things up for other players. And it, it really shows you what United are lacking by not having a passer there. But then, of course, the first goal happens where Pogba just doesn't do the simple thing as fill in for Maguire because his man dragged him out of position. Because Maguire's man does exactly what Maguire's man should do, is he makes a run, that either Maguire has two choices, either leave him and let him be wide open so that 
he can get the ball and be dangerous with it. And everybody will say, well, why is Maguire leaving, letting his man run free? Or he drags Maguire out of position. That's why you make off-ball runs. It's either to get yourself into an advantageous position or it's to drag a defender out of position so that one of your teammates can then make a run into the vacated space, which is exactly what happened. And what you're supposed to do is your midfielder is supposed to drop in and cover for the center back. And Paul Pogba just never decided to do that. Never even bothered to try. And because of that, it stretches Lindelof out. And United went from having four guys back with four Norwich players, or five guys back with five Norwich players in the area, to having somehow one guy with the ball wide open, one guy defending nothing, and one guy responsible for two players because no midfielders decided to track back and, and help out. And Alex Tellez, Alex Tellez was in a no-win scenario there. He went to the more dangerous player, which is the guy closer to the middle. And I don't blame him for that. You should do that. It's just that Alex Tellez had zero idea that there was a man behind him. At the very least, once that cross is made, if you know there's a man behind him, you can break for that man do something to try to throw him off Alex Teller just turned around and was like oh that ball's gonna go nowhere then went and then when he turned around went oh oh look there's a man there that's not good <laughs> he just had no idea there was man there Alex Teller's is garbage uh this is this is not new Alex Teller's never met a man at the back post that he wanted to that he wanted to mark that it, it cost us the match against PSG at home last year uh, Neymar scored six minutes into the match because Alex Sellers just decided I'm not going to mark the guy at the back post. Um, if you remember when we had a 6-1 lead going into the Roma fixture, like Alex Tellez was not deemed good enough to start that match because Ollie was like, yeah, you know, we're up by five, but like, let's, let's relax here. And then he came on at halftime and promptly was responsible for conceding two goals because he didn't pick up the man at the back post. And this was something that happened Oh, throughout the season. The other thing was like in possession, Alex Tellez actually looked like he came ready to carry the ball forward. And he did. But I, I his numbers kind of blew me away when I saw them. In that like 10 progressive carries, that's a lot. It's a lot for Alex Tellez. I think that's something he's actually gotten a little bit better at. A it's teeny just bit like... better at. A teeny bit. I wouldn't say he's eh, still. He carried the ball into the uh, final third. Uh four times not bad it's not bad the issue is, is what did he do with it next <laughs> because you look at um you look at the someone the only player who had more who did this more who carried the ball who had more progressive carries than alex tellers was jane sancho who had 17 of them he carried the ball in the final third five times what did they do next he either carried it into the box or passed it in the box seven times. He had a grand total of nine successful box entries. Alex Tellis had zero. So it's like you got it into the final third, and that just tells me like you're either you're passing it square, you're just not doing anything once you get it there. And like launching across. Yeah. Something like that. And it's like so it's great that you you're only doing half the job. This is like the Juan Basaka dribbling thing is is Juan Basaka is very good at beating his man on the dribble 1v1, but what does he do next? Because he can't play that pass. Scott McTominay carries the ball forward very a lot, all the time. 
what does he do next? He doesn't play that pass. Uh, that's Alex Tellis for it. it Alex Tellis, he's just garbage. So, I mean, we're in a situation where he's probably going to have to play the rest of the season. Do we think we're like in a better spot if Brandon Williams has been playing these minutes instead? Because I, I mean, I haven't really followed Brandon Williams' development at Norwich or lack thereof. I, I'm not really sure because you know Norwich haven't been that good. But it seems to me that at least on the defensive side of things, Brandon Williams might be a better option going into the next season. I don't think we're better with Brandon Williams. I don't think Brandon Williams couldn't even play it right back last year. And maybe he's gotten better defensively playing for Norwich because I mean, that's the hope when you're playing for Norwich is you're going to be defending a lot. So maybe he's gotten better defensively at that. We just, we saw it in project restart. Like he, he just couldn't play on the left side. He has no left foot. He'd have to cut back it. So like carrying the ball forward, all those things that Luke Shaw does that, when you take Luke Shaw out of the team, the team is missing. And Alex Tellez promptly somehow also doesn't do them. Like Brandon Williams doesn't do them either. I think Alex Tellez is one of the easier pieces for United to move along. Um, like just, he's he's not on the highest wages. Just be like, yep, you're not going to play here much. <laughs> Go somewhere else if you want to play first team football. But Alex Tellez also has no reason to do that because Luke Shaw is pretty injury prone. He'll get his opportunities. And if you do move Alex Tellez along, like now you got to find a new backup left back and that's just not going to be easy. Right. So uh, when Tellez signed, he signed a four-year contract. So this will be the end of his second year. That wouldn't be too much money to move on from. And they didn't really pay that much of a transfer fee for him anyway. So like the net, gain or loss or whatever from trying to find another buyer might not be that big of a, you know, thing to take an L on. But that just leaves you with the question of, you know, how do you compensate for a left back who's probably going to miss some time? Right. And while you're also dealing with, uh, you like lack a central midfielder. And if ever you had someone in your team, like a fullback that can step in and play in central midfield, like it's probably Luke Shaw, which is a take I've been sleeping on for two years, but I'm ready to put that out there. That sounds like a FIFA move right there. Like I, I'm pretty sure I've played Luke Shaw in midfield at some point. Hey, Luke Shaw has the, has the attributes that you'd be, I mean, look, you have to do it in a preseason game because you have to see if he has the vision and the, and the, and the awareness and the ability to like look, look around. And also when you're playing left back, you're only looking, you know, towards the right part of the pitch. That's the Ryan Giggs issue when he said like, Oh, I didn't even realize that my left eye was weaker until I started playing in midfield because I never had to look left. Uh, then you'd, you'd have to look left now. Um, but if you're looking at all of our fullbacks to be like, one of them can play in central midfield. Luke Shaw's the most, the most likely one. But that requires having an actual left back that can play left back. And they do not have that. Right. So uh, looking past this Liverpool match, uh, we're going to have to go soon. So we'll wrap things up. We've got is it Arsenal right after. Arsenal on Saturday. Yeah. So Liverpool Tuesday. And then like Chelsea on Sunday. Arsenal Chelsea Saturday. On Thursday. Chelsea on Thursday. And then what we play? Oh, then we play Monday, and then like we have like two games in the month of May. 
Uh, yeah, there's th- so there's six games left in the Premier League. It's Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea. Then in May, it's Brentford, Brighton, and Crystal Palace. So, so that's over 22 days of like May. Yeah, and Brentford and it, like May second. It's basically it's basically yeah. April. It, it's it's weird because United aren't really in a position. Really, they haven't been at any point in the season where you can look at a match and go, "Oh, that's a given." So it it really is like interesting to see how they address this challenge of you don't really have any players in form except for maybe Cristiano Ronaldo and you know you're not going to have him against Liverpool. Is he in form? Is Cristiano Ronaldo in form? Yeah. But like does that does that work against is, so Arsenal and Chelsea? Like here's the thing about Ronaldo. He has had December, I think December and September are the only months where he scored goals in multiple games. Right. So like we said, he was informed because he got a he got a hat trick against Tottenham. Then he laid two eggs against Atletico Madrid. He didn't score against. Uh, he I think he missed. No, he, he yeah he missed was the City match before or after that Tottenham match. City match was before. Uh, we had the international yeah. break. Um, where and then Everton he. Didn't you laid another egg and then and now he came back with another hat trick. I think it's a valid question to say, is he in form? He very well could be. You're right. But like of all of our players start smashing in some more goals. Or this could be he got his goals for the month of April and he (laughs) goes another two games without scoring. But uh, I guess what I was saying is that, like, of our players, he's probably the closest you can consider to inform right now. Yes. And but that's also because we've now built this team around Ronaldo. Yeah. Like Ronaldo's taking a third of our shots per game, which is a higher total than anyone has had in the last two years. We are, we have gone from a team that spreads out our shots to a team where it's pump that ball to your center forward and, and let him, and let him shoot. So he is the most likely one to be, to be scoring. And considering like, Considering the amount of chances that he's had, he's not scoring as much as you would expect Cristiano Ronaldo to do. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, like he is Despite having a pretty high XG too. I mean, he's not even hitting his XG. Like yeah. that's the thing. And and his the, his XG per shot is higher than it it's been in throughout his career. So like he's getting better shots. It's not like. It's not like he's teeing off from outside the box like he he has for his entire career. He doesn't really do that anymore. He, uh, I think he's he's closer to now hitting his XG because he scored on two low XG shots um, against Norwich. But this is still a guy who he, he shops at Costco. Everything's in bulk. He's ten of his fifteen goals have come in five games. Yeah, it's like Berbatov ten eleven. Yeah, I, I tweeted that earlier today. Is that was that's the best comparison? Is Berbatov had 20 goals. He won the Golden Boot. Like, because that's the that's the argument for Ronaldo is well, only Mo Salah has more goals than him. And it's like Jeremy Tar Berbatov scored the most goals in the league that year, but 11 of them came in three matches, and he only scored twice after January. And United more Wayne Wayne Rooney was by far the more important player. Berbatov only scored one goal without Rooney on the pitch that year, even though Berbatov was 
credited. Rooney had that ankle injury at the start of the season. He was in bad form. He was terrible. And Berbatov is the one that was credited with keeping the team afloat. But Rooney missed a lot of time in the beginning of the season. And Berbatov wasn't scoring. And at, at the biggest game of the year, at, when Rooney came out of the team, like Berbatov wasn't good. They, they couldn't, he couldn't just do it all. It was just, he had scored a lot of goals in the biggest game of the year. He wasn't even in the match day squad. So just having the most goals isn't particularly, it, it's usually corresponding right. to wins and everything, but not always. And this is another one of those seasons where it's not. Is, and it, this is, sorry, just, I interrupted you, but just to add on to that, like, that's been kind of the argument for Ronaldo this season is that like the whole, where would we be without his goals or whatever? And yeah, he scored a lot of goals, but he came into a team that, as you pointed out on Twitter early, you know, last season we didn't have one person who was our over, like overall collective, the go-to goal scorer, but it was still a season where in all competitions you had two players score 20 plus goals for two consecutive years, it was Rashford Martial in 1920 and it was Bruno Rashford last season. And it was like Ollie kind of developed the system where you could just figure out who to lean on at certain points in the season. And it got them over the line eventually last year. They didn't win anything. It was unfortunate. But this year, you can't just solve that problem by bring, you know, amongst other reasons, by bringing in somebody to just be the focal point of the attack. It just hasn't worked. But now we're in a situation where he is the focal point of the attack, and it has to work <laughs> if we want to make top four next season. And they were they were the second highest. They they scored the second most amount of goals in the league last year, and by all accounts, almost all their forwards were terrible. Rashford went from eleven non penalty goals to eleven non penalty goals, and it seemed agonizing watching him get there. He played more. No, he he kind of well, played. Mo- most of he his played goals like a came, similar amount. Most of his goals came in like the first three months of the season. Yeah, that's what, yeah. It was like and, his form just kind of dipped off. Right. Um, Martial went from a 17 goal scorer to a four goal scorer. Mason Greenwood went from 10 goals to seven goals. Uh, Edinson Cavani scored like 13 goals, which is a nice. That's a nice chunk of change, it, but yeah. you would expect that to be flanked with. 11 goals from Rashford, 11 to 15 goals from Rashford and around 12, 13, 14 goals from Martial and 12, 13, 14 goals from Greenwood. And it just wasn't. And Bruno added nine non-penalty goals last season also. And he is already at nine non-penalty goals. Um, just like Ronaldo, though, they've come in bulk. The, the argument, the argument for where would we be with, you know, the argument for Ronaldo would be, we take what we have and you take that output. So like, let's say you can expect another 11 goals from Rashford, et cetera. And you add Ronaldo to that and you say, okay, we have all these goals and now we're going to add Ronaldo's goals. But by adding Ronaldo in, it's changed the landscape for everybody else. and means they're not going to produce as much. So you need everybody. So you need that one guy to, to do so much more. And he's, he's just not doing so much more, but yeah, where would you be without him? Well, they just wouldn't be playing this style. That is about feed the ball to one guy, right? They'd, they'd be playing more of this. Look at how they played in the, in the first few games. It was a 
you had Mason Greenwood moving around and Paul Pogba moving around and uh, you'd try to, they would be going for that dynamic attack where it's several people can pop up. Look at how they played against Aston Villa where Ronaldo wasn't in the team and all of a sudden Bruno's making those runs into the box along with Ilonga and and Bruno scored two goals. Now they're so built that when you take Ronaldo out of the team, they're so built around him that they haven't trained like the way that they trained last year. They don't play counterattack football anymore, So they and they don't train like that. So when Ronaldo comes out of the team, they can't just be like, all right, guys, we're going to go back to doing what we did last year because you don't have the same players. Martial's not here. Daniel James isn't here. Um, Greenwood's not here. Cavani's barely here. But Cavani has no interest in playing because the club screwed him, and I, I don't blame him. <laughs> So you can't just go back to so so Mark Ralph is now looking around being like I don't know what to do so he's going with this dumb double false nine thing that that grossly doesn't work because you're not playing with a striker so yeah it's gonna look bad because they're so built around Ronaldo yeah and um by the way uh if you haven't yet check out Polly's two tactical analysis pieces from either last week or a couple of weeks ago that explain in further depth, uh, what he just talked about, but, um, quick prediction, uh, before we go, Polly, do we think that maybe Rashford having to get a start against Liverpool and us having to play on the break to get any chances, do we think that maybe gets him on the score sheet? No, I don't think we play on the break. We're just not good at playing on the break anymore. We don't have, we don't really have the personnel tactics wherewithal to do it. I don't think it'll be by design. I think that's just the only way we're going to get any chances against this team. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I just, I, we don't have the, like playing on the break. Isn't as simple as saying, Hey guys sit deep. And then when you get the ball, just, you know, hoof it long and look to it. Like there's tactical things that go into it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like no better example than that first two, one win at the Etihad where United went from like, is basically Dan James would tuck inside out of possession to form like a four through three, do a lot of work, cover a lot for McTominay. And as soon as United got the ball, they were looking to break through Lingard because Rashford and James would go very, very, very wide, which gave Lingard space to like run the attack. Remember that like 30, 90 seconds into the game where he pulled that great, uh, like he, he took that, that ball and made that great turn. And you were like, Whoa, that Lingard, like the one who's been terrible all year. Um, (laughs) like there were tactical reasons for them where it was like, when we create those turnovers, we know where to look and we know where to go. Like it's, it's a tactical thing that Ralph Ragnick is not that kind of manager. That's not his style of play. He's not a counterattacking guy. Um, everybody just dismissed it as like, there's no tactics here. It's just run and counter. Like as if anybody can run and counter, which well, not everybody can do it. <laughs> it's Ollie. He's all vibes and no tactics, right? Right. Not everybody can do it. Um, it, it, it it's, I'm not sitting here being like, Oh, it's, it's as complicated as Pep Guardiola ball or, or Jurgen Klopp things. Like it's, it's not one of the more difficult things to, to do, but in terms of tactical systems, but that doesn't mean it, you could just go out there and be like, Hey guys, play on the counterattack without giving instructions and and looking for things to exploit. They exploited that left side because Kyle Walker tucks inside. So they're like, we need to get wide so that we can, you know, pick on the fact that Kyle Walker's not going to be there. Um, 
I, so I just don't think they're uh, Ralph Ragnick's not a counterattacking guy. Like I know, I, I see the logic of what you're thinking. Um, and like, that's kind of how we played against city, but like, it didn't really work against city and we didn't really know what we were doing and it didn't yeah. do much. <laughs> So I was going to yeah, use like, Chelsea as an example, but that was definitely Michael Carrick. And I'm remembering that Ragnick was not manager yet. And that was also our two of our three chances came from Chelsea just handing us chances. Right. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't realize it. What do you think about the protest? You remember that thing that nobody knows about? There was a big protest on Saturday. Yeah. So for, for both of our match, like their match report and the player ratings, I put in pictures of the Glazers out signs just as, you know, a little bit of solidarity. Nathan didn't tweet uh, from the account until after 17 minutes in solidarity. Um, I think my thing about it is that it's kind of the same as it was last year where the Glazers aren't in a position where any leverage is against them. So I don't think anything is going to change. I Which I, protest of last year? The, the uh, Glazers out, the Liverpool interruption. I disagree with that. Okay. I think the Liverpool interruption caused something. Well, it caused interruption, which is what right. a protest needs yeah. to do. And it, it's not, it, it wasn't just a demonstration. It was like it, something it, literally being stopped. It did cause the Glazers to have to, to at least have to be like, look, we're going to modernize Old Trafford. We're going to do this. We're going to put in plans to work with with must and and have fans do this and right but part of the reason part of the reason that it hasn't gotten off the ground yet um has been has been because they can't come up with an agreement of must because must like we want all this power and the guys are like all right like no like that's not yeah. how it's gonna work and and it, you know it's like look we're, we're we want to give you a seat so we can we can hear what the fans want to have to say but ultimately like this is still our club we own it and must like well we want all this power to, it's like you know that's never going to happen but it, it caused those kind of things which to a lot of fans uh they are not happening fast enough and i i understand that and i hear that this particular one from saturday like it i mean all all it caused at best was for the Glazers to laugh and maybe count their money and maybe come up with, with new ways to make, to make money off of the Glazers were Cristiano Ronaldo had a hat trick on Saturday. The the Glazer family were the biggest winners of Saturday. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't want to like disrespect anyone who feels the need that they have to go and do that because I think that like maintaining this sort of voice of resistance is a really important part for fans who still justify supporting this club in the first place. And I agree with, you know, most of what they're saying. I think that 50 plus one is a good idea. And I think that even though Germany has not flourished and developed this incredibly profitable league at the way that England has, I think there's definitely something to your sport being enjoyable for your fans over being profitable. I agree with that. Would you think that 50 plus one was a good idea if you were a Southampton fan? I don't know. I'm not a Southampton fan. Because what 50 50 plus one does 
is sort of like kind of the like financial like FFP rules were were terribly named. Um, the the name was kind of like a marketing thing. What FFP was put in place was essentially put in place for was to prevent more Chelsea's and more Manchester cities and I guess now Newcastle and PSG right. from happening. It was it was your Real Madrid, your Liverpool's, your Manchester United's, Arsenal's. It was, um, but it was also Juventus. to prevent like Leeds United's from happening. It was that was the stated goal, but a lot of teams put a lot of leagues like put in things in place to like prevent that from happening. Like the Europe the wide parachute payments and yeah, yeah. the Europe wide one was we don't want more people crashing the table and 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 taking our and taking our our seat away. And what fifty plus one has done in Germany is it it just keeps the status quo. Like right. Bayern Munich have do not need to worry about about falling off a cliff. And Borussia Dortmund, who had massive financial issues 20 years ago and nearly got relegated, like yes, their model is still we need to qualify for the Champions League. And there are occasionally times like they are the only team that can maybe give Bayern a, a race every every so often and a year or two later be whoa we got to win our last two games to get into the top four, but they're never really going to drop below. They finished, they they finished the fall half of the season in 17th one year, and they still qualified for the Europa League in the second half of the season. They just shot right back up the table and finished seventh. That's like, that's who they are. And like, there's, there really aren't many teams with the reason that Leipzig is so like one of the reasons that Leipzig is so hated in Germany is because they've kind of circumvented the 50 yes. plus one thing. And that's why they're good. So 50 plus one really just keeps the status quo, which is why I ask you if you would be in favor of it, if you were a Southampton fan, because as a Manchester United fan, keeping the status quo is very good for us as a Southampton fan. It's not so good. It, it basically conscripts you to where you are, which is a team that'll be maybe at best mid table. And, and most years just doing enough to avoid relegation. Yeah. But I would make the argument, too, that the status quo in England has kind of always been there. Even if, even if it I'd, was I'd easier to... No. I'd make the argument you, that that's wrong. I'd say, look at the... Look at, let's, let's just look at the Premier League years, because before the Premier League, there was no status quo. It changed all the time. Nottingham Forest were are European champions. Aston Villa, et cetera. Like, you know, Liverpool and Everton dominated the 80s, and uh, Wolves were, like, the best team in the 50s. Well, that, that, was, that was kind of just, the thing, though. Is just that, look like, at the just look in the Premier League years. In the early years, it was United um, and Newcastle. Blackburn crashed the party for like a year, but first and second was typically United. United and Newcastle were battling it out every few for a long for five or six years, and then Arsenal came in, and then Chelsea got their oligarch money, and then they came in. And it was United, Chelsea, and 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 Arsenal, but Liverpool were always there as that fourth team. And and that was the status quo until the end of the decade when City and Tottenham kind of came in. And we've we've since now had had those six. Um, we've had those six now for about 15, uh, 12 years. So, yes, like that's been an extended an extended part. The Leicester did come and crash the party. Um, Leicester have now sort of become the status quo in terms of the European picture, although they fall. Leicester are like a new Tottenham. Well, they've fallen off again, but yeah, I think they'll be fine though. I think you know they're they've got the financial backing. 
Right, and Newcastle could come what, come back. What I'm really saying though is that like these teams who are have both grown out of you know large hubs in Britain like Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Newcastle, they've always kind of been around there. Newcastle has obviously had its like relegation struggles recently. They're gonna be back, you know, in the staying it, at the very least, be a Premier League mainstay for the foreseeable future, if not eventually become contenders. You've always even kind of had Tottenham up and around there, Chelsea up and around there until they got massive financial backing. I think I don't even remember what spun off this conversation. Well, I asked how how you how you what you thought about that. Right. Obviously, like winning is an important part of football. I also think that having a say in your having a communal say in the way that the club is run is something that's going to be important going forward as well. Because I don't think people want to see the sport end up as much of a status quo as, like, the NFL is. Like, if they create a Super League, it ends everything as we know it anyway. I completely I just, agree. I completely agree with that. I just, I don't, um, I don't think, yes, I, I, think, I think we're I overestimating think, how much how much power people the fans believe they have like Barcelona are entirely run by fa- they're entirely fan owned. The fans don't have that much power. It, Jean Laporta does everything. And if, if the fans don't like him, they'll vote him out, but like they don't get a say on, on the different. And like, and look, Real Madrid are entirely fan owned. Real Madrid are the ones that are the ones pioneering the super league because Fiorentino Perez gets to do whatever the hell he wants. And, the fans well, have not kind of, voted him out. This kind of goes back to being a Manchester United fan, deciding what is best for the rest of England, though, because the reason those perspectives are different at those clubs is that looking at England, what they envy is the Premier League and the Premier League wealth. And, you know, that's kind of been the driving force in Italy as well, where there really wasn't any fan backlash to the Super League. That's why those clubs are still kind of on board with it. So, yeah, I, I, I see where everyone's coming from with the rest of that as well. It's I, just... I, I think... Look, I agree with a lot of... The, the execution of this protest was just atrocious. Or not atrocious, but... It just didn't look good. It took an L. It took a big L and it it took a big L because not that I don't disagree with what you're standing for. I don't like the Glazers. I don't, I don't want them as owners. I don't think they are the worst owners. It could get worse. Like it could be way worse. You could have Stan Kroenke. Um, the, the Glazers, people are mad because the Glazers don't spend or perceived to not spend money. And yeah, they should have been spending more money on old Trafford and Carrington, but on the first team squad, they have spent more money than than almost every other team in Europe over the last however many years. They've just spent it atrociously. Well, that's that's the thing, though, is that, like, by not having a say in your club, you also don't have any in, influence on who the board of directors is or who the, the rest of the okay. people, that's, other than the face of But again, like, you elect those people in, and then they run, and then they run things. Like, yeah. But and, it... it so I well, guess, yes, you could vote them out eventually, 
if if you feel that they are not doing a good job, but that's not necessarily a good thing because look at how Barcelona have been run into ruin is because presidents run on the promise of we'll sign X superstar and then they just spend right. lots of money and and put you into financial ruin. So that's not a perfect a perfect strategy either. But but, but I, again, like I, I don't think I don't think that I agree with a lot of what they're standing for. Like I don't like the I don't like the Glazers and I don't I don't think they should they should own us. And I do think that they run the club far more commercial, like they care more about the commercialism of the club than than everything else, uh, than the football side. And I would like it to be the other way around. And that's really what they were promoting. I, I think that you take a huge L, though, when your your thing is basically you're you're protesting absentee owners, and the the protest was covered a little bit by nbc and like the commentators kind of kept acknowledging it but like you need the glazers on like social media yeah you need the glazers to see it and let's just say like that they are let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they are watching the match well what if they have multiple tvs on because you know one's on like bloomberg or whatever and they don't have the volume on then they have no idea this protest is happening let's give them the benefit of the doubt say they are watching it with volume all they're hearing is the commentator saying it because the whole thing is we're, we're waiting outside for 17 minutes. Well, in that case, you need to make sure that that stadium is noticeably emptier without you. And it did not look the slightest bit emptier when that, when that game kicked off. So even if you have 10,000 people at this protest, that's a lot, a lot of people. That's a drop in the hat at Old Trafford, which holds 75,000. And now, all right, let's factor in. 3,000 of them are Norwich fans. Fine. You're always going to have the tourists. and That's, that's like 20 to 25% are probably like the corporate seating, right? Corporate seating, but also yeah. the but also the tourists. Who This is my first – this is my one trip to Old Trafford. I'm not going to wait. This is my annual trip to Old Trafford. I'm not going to spend 17 minutes outside for my one trip – to Old Trafford. Okay. There's the, the, this is my first ever time going to Old Trafford. There's going to be those people, but how many of those people are there? That's, it's not 80,000, it's not, uh, 65,000 people. Let's give it, all right. So 60,000 people of that, like there's a lot of season ticket holders that were just inside. You would have, you want to make a point, like you need every person who regularly attends Old, Old Trafford to not go inside and and that didn't happen so at the end of the day you just look like a very small number of people so like that's if the glazers are watching this they're just like we don't need to worry about them then when as you said it it was mostly covered on social media well what's the most prominent video and picture on social media it's the guy wearing a shirt that says master bino number 69 and it's a team viewer shirt so like you bought that in the past year and how many of all the pictures that you're showing, how many people are wearing team viewer Ronaldo shirts, which just means you bought that in the past year. So, so if the Glazers see that, all they're seeing is, Oh, they're buying the shirts. They're doing what we want them to do. This is fine. And, and if you're, if you're so mad that they run it over for commercialism versus as opposed to the football thing, well, last summer they made a move that was entirely commercial-based rather than football-based when they signed Ronaldo, who they signed entirely for commercial reasons rather than football reasons. So, one, while you were out of the ground, that dude scored. 
Two, he ends up scoring a hat trick so that you win the game. And three, every one of those goals, and at the end of the game, the entire stadium is singing his name. So if you're the Glazers, you're seeing all the Ronaldo shirts, you're seeing the entire stadium sing about sing this guy's name, you're sitting there being like, oh, they love the thing that we did for them. We got this guy, we brought in this guy, and they love it. There's no reason for them to be upset at all. They're just sitting around counting their money. So you saying that makes me, or reminded me of uh, the Wright Thompson piece for ESPN, where he went to the Newcastle game, the first game Ronaldo was back. And he basically called, I think the exact words where he called Ronaldo an avatar for representing, you know, as fans didn't see it, everything that they'd come to hate in terms of this like commercial investment by the Glazers. It's basically a nostalgia pander, but they also, Ronaldo also represents what all those fans want to see in their club or what they think they want to see in that club, which is a proven winner who scores goals. It's like this. It's like an ace in the hole for the Glazers where they're always going to have that win over the fans with Ronaldo. Because Ronaldo is this revered fan favorite legend of the club who. You know, maybe if he'd scored zero goals this season, it would be a little bit different. But he does just enough to keep all of that alive in the eyes of the fans. And and every time he does one of this, it's how could anybody have ever said he's a problem? This is a this is yeah. exactly what we were discussing the first half of the show was was where would we be without Ronaldo? So from a look, the Glazers weren't sitting in Old Trafford. They weren't they weren't walking the streets before the match. Uh, they weren't taking pictures about protesting your your commercialism right in front of the Cadbury egg. Um, they they were sitting there from an absentee perspective. If you're sitting there watching on TV, all they're seeing is Ronaldo shirts. They're they're seeing Ronaldo deliver. They're seeing you. They're hearing you sing Ronaldo's names, and they're seeing a full stadium. Yeah. They 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 got the big win out of this. And like I said, like I I agree with the protesters here, but they took a big L. Yeah. And then and then when we got to the game, they you know decided to boo and yell at a player who was probably our best player on the day, who wasn't eating or drinking, telling him, "Oh, you're not fit to wear the shirt." And when you question that, it's well, the the basically the answer is is, um, well, he's been inconsistent as if United as if no United player has been inconsistent for the last five years, as if everybody else has, some of them haven't been inconsistent. I'll give them that. Some of them have consistently been bad, but nobody has been consistently good. And like, Oh, your agents, his agents, an asshole who has tried to move him to Real Madrid and Juventus and God forbid Manchester city. And it's like, cool. But at the end of the game, you are singing the name of the guy whose agent struck a deal with Manchester city and who told his, his teammates at Juventus, I am signing for Manchester city, very much willing to go there. That's fine. So, you know, Stratford and we've tried to defend you before we we've sat here being like fans. Uh, and this is my, my kind of thing is, is maybe this fan base deserves the Glazers because we suck. And we have talked about this on the show a lot. And we have been like, well, the match going fans, they're a different breed. Uh, they're good. 
etc. Like they know what's going on. It's the online fans. Well, the match going fans did not cover themselves in glory on Saturday. It was a big mark against them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this comes a couple episodes after we talked about, um, match day fans as well in terms of, you know, versus online abuse. And since then match day fans have booed a number of United players. And, uh, then of course Norwich yesterday. All right. So, not yesterday, Saturday. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Um, thanks for listening. We might have more content this week, but no promises. Um, but at the latest, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.